The following audio content is a talk from Tuesday Evening Worship, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash young adults. I was talking with this week with several people about um, middle school stories as I was preparing for this, because it's one of the times, if you want to talk about a wilderness time, middle school gets, for my money, the cake. Because you start and your body starts growing at weird speeds, at weird angles, and odd proportions. I was this kid that, I think my legs were as long as they are now by the time I was about 12. And I was about four foot seven. <laughs> so I was like this, like pool cues with like a bowling ball right on top. Just no torso, just kind of this thing and... Falling down was traumatic. Because your torso helps you. You know, you don't have that torso and you're done. I mean, it's just you're a long way down. And um, and I was thinking about the school bus. I had a long ride in the morning and we had to get up just before the sun was up and we had to get on the bus. And so it was kind of like a deal. Like people on your bus, you slowly got to know them. And it was kind of this jungle, kind of a like all the teachers are gone and we all know it and it's one bus driver. He's not going to take all of us on. You know, there's not really a fair match. And so we're, we're you know, so over time, you kind of figure out where you're going to sit. And in this bus, it was like a, tr- a, p- a true metro bus. We, we, I don't know if they, they do that anymore, but this is a real metro. In the back, there was just kind of a square where their seats all faced each other. And that was kind of like the cool kid section. And I, I you know, my two legs and a bowling ball head, I'm not going to be able to go back there right away. I'm maybe going to work my way up there. I'm like, I'm going to try and make friends. And so I'm, I'm doing that. And, and there were these guys, I mean, people there were like, some of the guys had grown into full grown men by that time. You know, they're just gigantic. They're benching 350, you know, and they're seventh graders, scary people. You know, they could already grow a beard, you know, which I thought, man, I can't wait till eighth grade when I can grow a beard. That wasn't going to happen. Um, and, uh, and they would like, I remember two twins that would take staplers and they'd have stapler fights. And they would literally just, <laughs> and then literally just whack staples into each other. <laughs> and literally just whack each other. And it was just so great. And I remember uh, finally one day getting my, I know it's a jungle in there. And uh, I remember getting my courage up, going back there one day with my buddy Chris. And we're sitting there and we're watching, you know, staples are flying and there's all kinds of stuff going on and sun's just coming up. And this girl that was probably one of the prettiest girls in school looks at me and she goes, you know, you're kind of like a skeleton. Yeah, some of you almost laughed right there until you go, ooh, that would have hurt. (laughs) If I had two bowling, if I had a bowling ball head and two, you know, two pool cue legs, that would have hurt. And and it was one of those things where it was one of those deals where you kind of laugh with everybody. But I remember that moment being so crushed. And literally had not thought of myself as skinny until that day. And, and I, I think it was probably until my mid-twenties that I was able to really even be aware that, man, I'm walking around all the time feeling like probably everybody is saying, thinking that same thing. Probably everybody, A, notices me, and B, thinks, man, that guy is a skeleton. That guy is so skinny. And I remember that, that feeling of literally almost having like the breath taken out of my body. I didn't want to respond. I felt embarrassed. I felt put on the spot. I felt like I couldn't answer back because she was too good looking. You know, like that kind of gave her a get out of jail free card. 
you know, well, she's good looking. She must know what she's talking about. And, um, and, and I remember that feeling of having, well, you know that, you know that feeling? Well, she's good looking. Must make her an authority. Um, you know, that kind of, that we get, we don't have much else to go on in seventh grade. So the, uh, but I remember that feeling, uh, of just ha- of, of being defined and having life taken from me. Now, those are those experiences that I think we start getting into as we're growing up. These experiences that take life away. That, that feeling of, of walking along and suddenly somebody does something that takes life away from us. We feel smaller. We feel stupider. We feel less able to do and accomplish. We feel more like there's a destiny that's been put on us. How many of you guys are walking around feeling like as hard as you try, at some point, it's all going to break apart. You know that fear that someday someone's going to discover you and then the whole thing that you've been working so hard on is going to come collapsing down. Because somewhere somebody took life. You've been living that out ever since. Somebody said one day, you know what, you're never going to make it. You don't have what it takes. So you've been living that out every, every, all, all the rest of your life. You've been, whatever you take on, in some way you can find yourself sabotaging something just because somebody somewhere said, you know what? You're broken. You're defective. Someone took life. Now, subtle ways you can be living that out. Like you've been putting shekels. What I love about Jesus is when he comes his mission statement is, I have come to give life and set the captives free. It's this idea of saying, I am directly opposed to what happened to you. And my mission in your life, if there's anything I can do, is to come in and see if I can work in that place of pain that you walk around with, those shackles, things that have taken life from you, and saying, I want to go in there. Will you let me in? Let me into the place that has taken life from you. What I love about David is that he is an authentic, rough human being. And what we get to, where we are in his story right now, we get to see him in this building phase. And he's going to go through some rough times, and he's going to make some choices that are going to cost him. But even in the midst of those choices, you're going to see the, the man that he is inside, this man that is consistently seeking after the heart of God and trying to bring life. That's the challenge that I want to put before you right now. There's two, two challenges for you. One is, are you allowing God into the places of your life where life has been taken? Or have you shut God out and said, well, nothing can be done about that, or I'll take care of that. I'll put up my own defenses. I'll put up my own arguments. I'll, I'll put myself in places where I can take care of the places where life has been taken. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. Second, have you made a decision to be someone that brings life, sustains life, perpetuates life? Or are you taking life? Sometimes because life has been taken from you. And I don't mean necessarily literally. But I mean maybe in the way you look at some people different than you look at other people. Or maybe in the way that you talk about somebody behind their back. Somebody did something to you and now the way you take it back, you take life back, they took life from you, you're going to take it back from them. Is you have conversations with all the people that know them and you, you paint a picture of what's happened and you take them down so that, that you can pretty much isolate them. 
Maybe you erupt. Maybe you have, have temp, a temper that you, you, you erupt and you haven't done the work around that. So you use that to take life. People that are in, in the midst of that walk away feeling smaller and weaker. And maybe even perpetuating that to become someone that takes life from somebody else. What I love about David is this raw heart that's just going, Lord, help me be someone that brings life. I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. And if you don't, bring a Bible. All right, here we go. Uh, all right, chapter 24. What's happening right now is, is um, Saul has thoroughly turned on David. He is suspicious of him. He's, he, he, is firmly, he firmly feels his own kingdom, the, the, the role that he has had, slipping from his fingers. And there's that sense of panic that God has given him a gift, and the gift has turned to sand, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's starting to look around, and you're watching him start to get even a little bit paranoid. In the meantime, God has put his hand on David and saying, you're going to be the guy. There's that temptation sometimes. We feel like God has put us in a certain place. And we just never want to let go of it. We cling to it with like a white knuckled. God gave me this first date with this person. Yeah, we're going to let that go. It's got to be the one, you know. That's got to be it, you know, or the job possibility. Oh, I really think God gave me this job interview. Never going to let go, you know, that feeling, the white knuckled feeling. That's what Saul's going through right now. In the meantime, David is being raised up, being raised up, and he's got friends around him. This is what happens. It says, Now it came about when Saul returned from... This is, this is verse 1, chapter 24, 1 Samuel. Um, now it came about when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the, wild, in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He's going after them. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Yes, the Bible has all details in it. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave, and the men, and the men of David said to him, Now listen to this. You're going to see them. They're going to, be, they're going to show their card, the, way that, the principle that they're living on. Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. How many of you have got people around you that hear your complaint, they hear what's happened to you, and they want you to go take life back. They want you to go to that person and take life. They counsel you, Oh, what? They did what? She said what? I can't believe she said that. She said that? I can't believe she said that. Are you going to take that? That counsel, you know, the counsel of many voices, that's what David's got right now. And then David arose and cut off, or it says, and then the men of David said, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It's like, they, they, see, they're in this cave and they're hiding. Saul's men comes in, Saul comes in to go to the bathroom, and in the midst of this, David's got, he's right there. He's got his knife right there. He's got his sword Saul doesn't see him. You can imagine what's going on in David's head. You betrayed me. You were my best friend's dad and you knew my heart. And you've chased me all this way. You think you're that big. You think you're that powerful. You think this is what God wants from you. 
You've insulted me. I'm out of my homeland. I've lost everything. He's right there. He's got his moment. Instead, what he does is he takes his sword and he cuts off a slip from his robe. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, men, you're going to hear his first principle. Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. He's already got this principle. He's saying, it's not my job to be God. That's one of the principles you're going to watch him living by. Not my job to be God. Let God be God. And David persuaded his men, and these David persuaded his men with these words, and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. You're not going to talk to her about that. You're not going to do anything. Well, maybe I will. So maybe you send your friend to go do your your dirty work. You're not going to do do anything bad because you don't want to be the bad one. But your friends are all willing to do it for you. They're all going to rise up. Maybe they'll spread the slander. Maybe they'll spread the rumors. Maybe they're going to go in and, and, and give her the cold shoulder. Talk bad about him. But David persuaded his men with these words. Did not allow, allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king, Still being respectful. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed to his face, still being humble. And prostrated himself. He's basically putting himself in a place where if Saul had wanted to right that moment, he would have been a dead man. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men, saying, behold, David seeks to harm you? He's starting to reason with him. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch here. You're going to hear another one of his principles. I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, he's calling him my father. Indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. You can imagine Saul just going, what? That's an embarrassing moment. For I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. I have not sinned against you. But you are lying and wait, wait for my life to take it. He's saying, look, here's another principle. That even though you meant to do me harm, does not determine whether I'm going to mean to do you harm. See, in Saul's mind, you're going to see this. If someone tries to hurt you, the principle is hurt them back. Someone takes life from you, take life from them. May the Lord judge between you and me, says David, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, see, he's going back to principles. Out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom is the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea saying, look at me. You're trying to take life from me? The Lord, therefore, be judge and decide between you and me. Let God be God. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now it came about when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son? It's almost like in a moment of craziness, all of a sudden there's sanity. 
It's like all of his anger, all this stuff that he's carried around, all this sense of I'm going to take life from this man who's trying to take my position, the gift that God gave me, this kingdom that I'm white-knuckling. I'm white-knuckling. This guy tries to take it from me. I'm going to go take something from him. And in the midst of David acting out of principle, suddenly it's like his eyes are opened. And for the first time, he recognizes the voice of this young man that he has seen raised from a boy. Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. It's like David staying true. David letting God be God is like piercing his heart. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I. And you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. And you've declared today that you have done good to me and the Lord delivered me into your hand and yet you did not kill me. This would have been like craziness to him. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? That's his principle. There's Saul's principle. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? Meaning, if I've been harmed, I will harm you back. If it takes the rest of my life, I will repay this evil, even if I repay it to somebody else. May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. You see his knuckles relax. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. And David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Who here is a runner? Do any runners in the room? Who's a runner? So great. You're the only guy brave enough. Can you come on and appear? You're gonna, this is one of those things where you go, this is one of those things where you go, I don't want to raise my hand ever when Dave is speaking. We use some wise people. All right, what's your name? Colby. Colby, good to meet you. Colby, you look like you, you look like you can handle this. Can you stand up on that chair? All right, this is like one of those terrible, like, dead poet society moments. Um, um, all right, let's just say, who's got a Bible? Anybody got a Bible in here? Please, somebody, please say, oh, great, here we go. Let's give him a Bible. This will symbolize he's God. Everybody go, hi, Colby. How are you doing? There you go. Okay, Colby, we're, you're among friends here. Um, here's the first thing. Here's what I think David is doing. This is what I'm going to challenge us with today. That one, the first challenge is going to be, how are you going to let God into the place where life has been taken from you? But two, how are you going to become someone or be someone, live out the, the person that God is calling you to be that gives life? I'm going to give you five things. We've already hit on almost all of them. One is to let God be God. To decide for yourself, God is God. Now, there's a lot in there. The first thing is, you're deciding whether or not you even believe God is real at all. There's a lot of you that I know are in that place where you're like, man, if I'm really honest, if, I'm, if I were to be really honest with people, I would say, you know what, I'm not completely sure. You know that feeling of, of you start, you start to, to, uh, to lean into God, but you feel that, that falling, and so you reach out and grab again. You know, you grab hold on. You say, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep this. The problem that a lot of us have is, Kobe, can you stand down here? In the times of trial, we go, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it for just a little bit. God, here's, here's the deal. I, I want to 
tell you that I, I know that you're God, but for just right now, in just for a little while, I think I'll stand here on this throne here if you don't if you don't mind. That's okay. And uh, so yeah, I'll be praying. Yes, I will sing. Yes, I will go to church. But you know and I know that <laughs> I'm just going to stay right here because, frankly, I can see what's happening to some of my friends and you're not doing all that great of a job. So I'm just going to kind of stay right up here. And then, you know, there comes a time where you're like, okay, maybe I'll switch places with you again. That's all right. That's great. And we go along and then and then say someday you're working and one of those days your boss happens to say something to you that hits you right in that place where someone took life from you way back when you were a kid. Let's see. You look like you could handle it. Can you come up here for a minute? What's your name? Natalie. Natalie, welcome to be, way to be volunteered. So Natalie's my boss, and she says, Dave, you know what? You're always late. And I go, oh, crud, that's the biggest thing that I used to feel so insecure about when I was a kid. And so suddenly Colby steps down, and Natalie steps up. And suddenly I've got this person being my God now, and i got to do everything I can to see how I can please her, how I can make sure that she likes me, that I get all the approval that I need. And maybe if she could just say and wave it over me that, Dave, it's okay that you used to be late a lot or whatever it is, then I'll be okay and I can have her step back down again. That's great because I, I want to have God be God. That would be great. That would be awesome. We can do that, right? And then I'm walking back and I go home for Christmas or Thanksgiving and I go back into my family. And let's see, Tim, you get up anyway. Why don't you come over here? That's all right. And then suddenly, right there, guess what? We got there. You can stay up here, Natalie. It's okay, Colby. And suddenly we look over here and we go, and suddenly guess who's back in town? It's Dad. Who has that way? <laughs> you know, that way where he can smile and look at you like, I'm disappointed. All in the same look where you're like, oh, I'm not gonna, res- I'm not gonna fall to it this time. But in the meantime, I'm secretly hoping that someday he's gonna wave his arms over me and take away all of the fears and insecurities I have where life was taken from me and made me feel like I was perpetually going to be someone that would not be able to be on time or be big enough or for some of you people, for some of you skinny enough or for some of you smart enough or some of you intelligent enough or successful enough, whatever that meant, why are you still single? Your mother and I, we got married at 21 and 22. Just saying. (laughs) You know, oh, please, and waves over that. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. You can stay right up here. That's okay. And so we go on and we go on and then we're walking around and we're walking around and we're going through, what's your name? You were hoping I wasn't going to say John. John, come on. John comes up here. And we were walking along. We're walking along. And John is so successful. John is so successful. And he's, he's doing, and he just happens to mention that he's, his job is going really well. He's got that great new girlfriend. And he's, go, you know, everything is going so sweet. He's talking on the phone right now. Absolutely. And I, Oh, yeah, okay, right. And he doesn't have time for me because he's got to do his own thing. And I'm secretly hoping that he's going to give approval to me and that I'm going to be able to fit in or do whatever. Thank you guys so much. So everybody go, let's give them all a hand. And at the end of the day, oh, Colby, can you come back up here? And at the end of the day, what I think for David was in the midst of the wilderness where you know what it's like that even when you can't necessarily hear God, you pray and you pray and you remember that time where God felt so close you could you felt like everywhere you looked you could see what God was doing. 
And now you pray and you pray and it just feels like silence. That in that time when you are so tempted to take the seat back, you say, you know what? I'm going to let God be God. I'm going to declare that God is God and not me. For all of the desire and intent that I have to take back over, to white knuckle my life, to take life where life has been taken, I'm going to let God be God and let God be the judge. Now here's the deal. Romans 8.28 it's this passage. All things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. One of my favorite pastors, Stuart Briscoe, said, there's no promise that that's going to be in this lifetime. It's not necessarily going to have the scales evened out in this life. That's tough for me to handle. I don't like the idea that life has been taken from me. I'm going to have to walk around this life with an uneven scale. So I might be tempted I want life evened out. So I might be tempted to say, that's okay, God, you can get down. Oh, no, David's saying, you know what? Even with an unbalanced scale, Saul, you came after me. You've humiliated me. You've separated me from the friend that is closest to me. I'm going to choose to face you and acknowledge that we've got an unequal scale. Here's the only reason I can do that, Saul, is because that I know and ultimately, God is a God of grace. God is a God of love, but also God is a God of justice. And I know that in some way, God is at some point, maybe not in this lifetime, that all will be made right. I'm going to keep God on the throne, even when I am so tempted to take it back in the wilderness. That's the time when it's the hardest. That's the time when I'm most tempted. Times are going good. It's easy to let God stay up there. There's another part of this, and that's the second thing that he did, and this was that David was committed to the idea that he had a place in God's purpose. There's this unsinkable faith, this rock-solid, stake it in the ground. And I have this picture. Anybody ever work with Anybody work with a big with a pry bar? You know what pry bar is? Pry bars are great. One of the most like cool tools on the like human, uh, habitat for humanity side. I want to use the, the pry bar because it always makes me just feel like, yes, I am Superman. Um, the, they, they're about this tall. They weigh about 190 pounds. They're, they're, they're not really, but they're solid iron. And they're used to just, you know, pry stuff. That's it. They didn't have a really fancy name like, you know, crosscut saw. They're nothing like that. It's just a pry bar. We pry with it. And it's like you stake this thing and you use basically its weight is part of what makes it work. You pick this thing up and put it way down. I picture this thing. I picture staking this thing down. <clears throat> That God is God, the second thing, I'm going to stake it in the ground. And even if at times I don't believe it, I'm not going to let it go. That I am convinced that I have a place in God's purpose. God has got me here for some reason. I am not an accident. I may feel like I don't look right. I may feel like I can't talk right. That's Paul, by the way. I may feel like I'm in the wrong job. That's Peter before he gets called. I may feel like I don't have enough friends. I may feel like I don't make enough money. 
but I am not going to take this stake out of the ground that I have got a place in God's purpose. You believe that? You know at times you do. You know there are times when you have that whiff, that smell, that, that sense from the Spirit blowing through you, that sense that you are not an accident. You are made on purpose. I do that joke all the time, but that old Laverne and Shirley opening, you guys don't remember that show. Don't worry about it. In the beginning of the Milwaukee Brewery, they're looking and they're supposed to be like bottle inspectors and one's just like dazing off into the sky, just daydreaming. And bottles are flowing right by her, you know. And some of us, I think, have that picture of God. Like we were just people being manufactured one after another, one after another. Mistakes going through. There's a rat in that bottle. I don't see it. <laughs> you know, little razor blade in that one. I didn't see it, you know. All these kind of things. That one's purple. I don't didn't see it, you know, all that stuff. No, God is... God is a God of intention. God is a God that makes you on purpose. God is the one that thought you up before you were born. Go read the beginning of Isaiah. Go read the beginning of Jeremiah. You were in your mother's womb. I knew you. When you doubt that, go downstairs and go look at the crucifix. You've got to be worth an awful lot. You better be here on purpose. <coughs> The idea that God, right now, right in this room, right here, not outside, right here, right now, that God knows your name, God knows your story, God has seen you every single day of your life. He's got you here to be a part of His purpose. Now that's a little different when things get going a little bit crazy. I can get really married to my purpose. And start hoping that I can include God in that. God, I want to make a lot of money. So I'm going to start praying to you to go do it. Make that happen, God. I want to make that money. I want to be successful, God. See, it's right over there. There's a job right there. It'd be the best thing for me. That job over at Microsoft right there would be the best thing for me. Why? Because it's part of my plan. And I'm going to ask you to fulfill my plan. Because I promise you, God, and this should make you feel really good. That you are included in my plan. You see what I'm saying? It's a subtle shift. <laughs> I couldn't have gotten a better volunteer here. Um, the uh, the uh, third one is a ruthless honesty, a commitment to ruthless honesty, both with God and about yourself. Now, this is a big deal because I think there's some people that don't feel like they can really shout at God. If you go look all the way through the Psalms, and the Psalms are smack dab right in the middle of the Bible. And I think God did that on purpose. I think God wants to know right in the middle of that that it's okay to yell at God. I've called God every name in the book. And I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that here. But it's true. I have. I have been outside, looked up at the stars, and like, beep, God, beep, beep. You know, I mean, I've had it out. I think when God, I think God smiles at that with me. I think He knows that I don't take Him lightly. I think He knows that when I'm looking in the sky and I'm saying those things, that it's not because I don't believe; it's because I believe so much. Some of you, somewhere down the line, were told that you can't say certain things to God, but right in the middle of Psalms, of the Psalms, you have people praying that, that to, to, for God to take their babies' heads and smash them on rocks. I don't think you've said anything that. Bad, probably. And if that's the case, 
probably what you got. Bring it to him. Commit to that ruthless honesty. Because otherwise, this other stuff about saying God is God and I got a place in his plan, in his purpose, we can start becoming these kind of pious little fairy tale Christians. You know, where it's kind of going to end like Cinderella. That's what we're doing. So we're all going to just really grit our teeth and keep smiling at each other and saying, Hi, good to meet you, you know. Welcome to this place. You know, we don't mean it. What we got to be able to do is we've got to be to commit to that ruthless honesty with God. So that when we're frustrated about this, scales are empty. This is terrible. That's what David does. David commits to ruthless honesty and then commit goes back to, but God is God. All the way through the Psalms, you're going to see one, boom, 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 this rhythm. He also makes a commitment to ruthless honesty with himself. And this is what I want to challenge some of you with. You got people in your life that are willing to tell you the hard news about how you impact people. This is some of the stuff that, that I do work with with some of the guys that I see. It's that we get them into groups where the commitment is we're going to tell each other the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's hard sometimes. Sometimes it brings a lot of life. But it's hard to hear those things. But I want to challenge you and say that if you're feeling like you want to take life or you're feeling that place where it's dark in the wilderness, you feel like God has left you and you're going to take back the rain right here. You're going to get back on the throne and you're going to start doing this stuff and you're going to start praying that God will go take care of that person. I want to challenge you. You're getting your leg work out today. I want to challenge you to commit to ruthless honesty about how you may be impacting the situation. And maybe even in that situation that happened to you so long ago where you felt like life was taken from you. Maybe, 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 maybe. I'm not talking about abuse here. But maybe, maybe, maybe you contributed something to that. Maybe there's some reason why it keeps happening over and over and over again. Not that you're doing something wrong that you need to beat yourself up over. But maybe there's something that you're doing unconsciously that you're bringing into the situation that generates the same response. The fourth one is to commit to living by principle over emotion. See, I'm imagining that right there when Saul is right in front of his face and, and David's got that piece of robe and he's going, do you see this piece of robe? I could have killed you. Right there, every principle that he has nailed down is coming into play. Everything he decided beforehand in a sane moment he's living by. I will not take life that is God's. That's a principle. I want to. In those days it would have been accepted. It would have been seen as a sign of victory. I want to talk bad about them. I don't want to go and confront them. I just want to wreck their reputation. But my principle is that if I can't say it to their face, I won't say it. My principle is I'll have two or three garbage dumps, two or three places that I know won't spread it. And we just commit. You and I, we're just going to come. We're going to share our lives and we're going to tell each other things. And we're not, you're not going to go tell anybody and I'm not going to go tell anybody because we don't want to carry it alone. And that's the fifth thing is to keep close friends close. And that's why you need them. David had Jonathan. David had Nathan. And Nathan has a tough job later on. He's got to come and tell David when he's really, really blown it. And you're going to watch David. Could have killed him right there. Could have taken his life. But David's already nailed down the principles. David has already decided that God is God. David has already decided, I've got a place in God's purpose. 
He's already decided, I want to be ruthlessly honest about how I can impact things. I'm open to being wrong. I'm going to live by the principles that I've set up for myself so that when I get really emotional, I'm in the wilderness and it's dark all around, that I've got these instruments that I can fly by. One of my friends is a pilot, helicopter pilot for one of the news stations here. Known, known him since high school. He's one of the bravest men I know. And he was telling me the story when he was getting trained. He says, David, this this one of the one of the hardest things I've ever ever heard about was was a helicopter pilot that died in a car in a in a, in a helicopter accident because when he was flying in the fog, his senses, everything in him, told him that he was flying straight up. Now his instrument says flying level. But all of his, all the feeling, I mean, imagine this. Imagine you're sitting in your seat right now and it, suddenly the feeling of gravity is not down, but it's to this wall. We would all jerk back. Well, that's what he did. Goes down to level out, not his instruments, but his feelings. Of course, helicopter wasn't flying up. Helicopter was flying level. So he took it right into the ocean. I sat there and I thought about that. I thought, you know what? I do that all the time. I feel this emotion that feels like I should go do this. That would be the best thing. I should go do this. And what I do is I fall back on old habits. I go fall back on the things that I did when I was, a, when I was in junior high or high school. I go back and fall on the things that I watched my parents do. What did your parents do when they got mad, when they were in the wilderness? They stopped talking to each other for weeks? They raise their voice and use explosive language with each other. They go out and spend money that the other spouse didn't know about. What'd they do? What do you fall back on when you're in the wilderness? Pointing that thing down. David's in the wilderness and what he does is he just says, you know what, everything in me is telling me one thing, but I've got a principle to live by and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get through this. I'm just going to hold steady and trust that these principles, these flight instruments are going to lead me through. Your principles that you make in a solid moment, in a sane moment, trust them. If when you were sane, you said, I'm going to commit myself to potentially living at times with unequal scales and trust that God is God and that God will write things in God's time. If I am committed to the fact that I am in God's plan, God has a purpose for me, if I am committed to being ruthlessly honest so I can tell God that I am not happy about this. If I'm committed to living by principles and I'm committed to keeping my close friends close so that I've got a place to share what this feels like and come up with a plan based on my principles. That's how we be people that bring life. And that's how we can also become the kind of people that don't suffer for where life has been taken from. We don't give our life over to that moment. Years later, I was a senior in high school and I sat down with that girl. I'll say her name is Jennifer. It's not Jennifer. We become friends by then. And she, I was the first person she told that all of her life she'd suffered from um, an eating disorder, from anorexia. And that every day, her parents' best way to get her to stop it was to tell her that she was skinny. And then right in the middle of seventh grade was the time when that was really taking place. Life had been taken from her. She was just passing it on. 
said, I am so sorry. And I said, you know what, it's okay. It's one of those moments when you get it right, you just can tell. My prayer for you, I know that you are walking around with a place that life has been taken. My prayer for you is that you are going to walk out of here tonight with a sense that God has met you. He's saying, okay, you got a task. One, you got to let me into the places where life has been taken. And two, you got to decide what you're going to do to be someone that brings life. And my prayer is that you walk taller, that that gives you life, that just even entering into that, that you have a sense that you are not alone. God is your advocate. That you are a part of this purpose in this world. And that purpose is to bring life to the world. Through Jesus Christ, His Son. Let's pray. God, thanks so much. Appreciate so much Colby being willing to take one for the team tonight and everybody else who stood up here. Lord, I pray for the burdens of this room. I know, Lord, that you are a God that is so much about moving forward, about bringing life in the wilderness. I know there are people right now that are really struggling and they're really trying to figure out what does this mean for me with that thing that happened that can't possibly be okay to let let go or they don't know what to do to be a person that brings life. They don't know what to do it. That's okay. Pray you'll give them close friends. If it's counseling they need, pray they find a good one. Pray, Lord, if it's a book they need, that you'll steer to the right book. If it's a pastoral meeting they need, I pray that you'll give them that time. Whatever it takes, God, so that they can be the people that you had in mind when they were in their mother's womb. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said...